Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have everybody here, uh, and I uh, hope uh, if you're your first time here, you can sit back and relax and learn something from the Word of God. We've been looking at families uh, the last several weeks, and uh, I don't know how your family is, but I learned a lot of lessons, a lot of good lessons, just watching the rest of the circus in my home. I mean, uh, I learned a lot of, lot of things by just watching, especially my older brother, and some of the lessons that I learned were from his mistakes. I would say to myself as a kid, note to self, don't say that to dad. Note to self, when dad says be home by midnight, be home at 11. These are the things I remember learning. And that's true. You think about it in our family, most, most of the lessons we learn in life begin and are learned in our home. And that's why we've been looking at all these families in the Bible, families like Joshua, the family of Timothy. I think next week, Mike is going to be talking about the family of Jesus. Now, there's something here you are and you're having a meal and someone says, let's pray. And someone starts praying, God, thank you for this food. And Jesus goes, you're welcome. I mean, that's going to that's an interesting dynamic there. And he's going to be talking about how to get Jesus and really how do you make Jesus in your home uh, more evident in your house? We've been looking at all these different families. And today we're continuing this second week of looking at uh, a family that made lots of mistakes. Uh, again, well, we can learn from their mistakes. And this, we're talking about the family of Lot. Before we get started, I just want to remind you ladies that you do have a retreat this weekend. And make sure you're signing up for that. Make sure you get your name in there because it's real, really going to be a good, a great weekend uh, for our ladies. Pivotal weekend to be, to be honest. But here in the family a lot, if I, last week I asked you to read Genesis 13 and Genesis 19. How many of you got to peer into that a little bit? Oh, wonderful. Great class. You're all going to get an F today. Uh, <clears throat> and so what, well, I, let me refresh you what happens. In Genesis 13, we learn about a fellow by the name of Abraham. He's known as the father of faith. I mean, he's, he's the guy. God talked to him personally, promised him some land. And he promised him that his family would be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. And the Bible talks about he he leaves this this place. He builds an altar and that's where God talks to him. And then he goes to Egypt for a while. And there he begins to accumulate more wealth. He runs into some other family members, one of them being uh, Lot, his nephew, and I thought what's interesting here is that Abraham's a faithful man and Lot as well is a godly, faithful man. We learn that in Second Peter chapter 2, that here's a godly, faithful man. He's been alongside Abraham, watching Abraham, responding to God's call with Abraham. Lot actually says, I'll go too. And we watch Abraham as he builds altars and worships God. Lot is there with Abraham the whole way. Of course, their herds get too big. They have to part company. And Lot decides he's going to go somewhere else. And Abraham says, you can choose. And he goes, I want to go here to the plush green meadows of the Jordan Valley. And there he lives and he pitches a tent close to a city that we all are familiar with, the city of Sodom. And it isn't long till he is in that town, a big shot in that town, accumulating more 
Uh, in fact, uh, he moves into town. If you check the scriptures, you find that he wasn't in the valley very long till he's captured. And Abraham has to go save him. And instead of staying with Abraham, he goes back where he was living and decides to move into town thinking maybe it'll be safer there. And it's not safe in that town. It's worse. But Lot stays there. And in that, over time, over a, a, a bit of time, he loses everything, everything he's accumulated, every blessing God gave him. He loses his wife. He loses his daughters. He loses everything. He just has the shirt on his back. And so we can learn from this. And I hope we can because look at what it says in Proverbs 11. Those who bring trouble on their families will have nothing at the end. And that's what's happened. In time, Lot lost everything. Uh, and uh, we noticed this, and we saw this last week. We looked at three points last week um, about some of the choices and the mistakes that Lot made that cost him everything. You know, I don't know how you are, but I know that uh, there's, there's some channels uh, on cable now that do the autopsies of the rich and famous, you know, they'll have an autopsy. Or you'll watch CSI. Denise and I love watching Vegas CSI. And there's always that dead body. And they got it just laid open, open there, looking inside, pulling out gooey stuff. And it's gross. It's weird. It's, ooh, this is difficult to watch sometimes. But some, but, but the thing about autopsies is they, are, they have such great benefits. And sometimes we have to do an autopsy on ourselves. And, and especially in families in the Bible. And by doing that, we benefit. We can benefit. I know that some, uh, maybe last week was a tough, tough three points. I want to look at them again. But I hope that we'll, we will look honestly into this family and ask ourselves, am I making any of these mistakes? I don't want to make the same mistakes. Look at the, let's look and review a little bit. Last week we looked at three different points here. The first one is if I want to wreck my family, because that's what we learned from a lot. If you want to wreck your family, you can wreck it whenever you're just being selfish. Just live a selfish life. Lot thought of himself. If he thought of anybody, he thought of three people, me, myself, and I. And he, and he, all of his decisions were about what's in it for me? What's going to happen to me? James 3, it says this up on the screen. Are you concerned about getting ahead? Then your life will be a mess. And you'll be doing all kinds of evil things. See, Lot is ambitious. And I believe we ought to be ambitious. And we, we should be conscientious people. But he's selfishly ambitious. He's caught up in selfish ambition. And it's made a mess of his life. And if you want to wreck your home, just think of yourself. And it guaranteed to go down the tubes. Number two, last week we looked at, I can wreck my family when I compromise with the world. I found this proverb uh, earlier last week. I saved it for this week. Look what it says here. When a good man gives in to the wicked, it's like dumping garbage in a stream of clear water. And that's exactly what's going on with Lot. Because he's compromising, he gives in to the culture. They begin to practice, they begin to think and practice, do things, say things, look for things that the world offers, and it muddies the water. And that's what Lot does. He compromises with the world a little at a time. A little bit at a time. Number three, I wreck my family when I drag my feet. Whenever I drag my feet. Remember the angels came in and they're, they're saying, you need to get out of this town. You need to get out now before God destroys it. And the Bible says Lot just stood there or he hesitated. And when we drag our feet and we hesitate, we have a, we, we stand to risk. We put our family in peril. We bring trouble onto our family. Look, what the Bible says here in Hebrews, 
in the message. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. He's talking about this race that we're to run. He says, don't drag your feet in this race. Keep moving and stay on God's path. And so whenever we begin to drag our feet and we put off, we delay, we say, oh, I'll, do, I'll do that. I'll do that when the kids are older. Or I'll, I'll start doing this when I retire. Or I'll, that's just, you need to do it as ASAP. Whenever God calls us to do something, whenever God calls you to do something, you should respond to it as soon as possible. Why? Because then you benefit as soon as possible from that. What's the other three we're going to look at? Well, if you want to wreck your family, here's the, here we're at, point number four, when I try to have it all. When I try to have it all. Look at what the Bible says here. A greedy man is in a hurry for wealth. He doesn't know that poverty will come to him. I, I'm, you know, I'm an old man now. I noticed this as a young man. That we want things when we're young. We want the things our parents have and we want them now. We don't want to wait. We don't have to want to go through the process. I remember, you know, it used to be, you know, a couple might live in an apartment or a trailer and they'd work their way up to a bigger trailer. That's what I did. And then then you'd finally get a house and you're like, wow, we're in a real house like we were living in something else before. We're in a real house. And then then another home, you know, we're, we're working our way up. Not today. Kids want it now. And by the way, I wanted it now too. I didn't want to wait and save. And so anytime I could find a way to get an edge and maybe get ahead, man, I wanted to take advantage of it. And that's exactly what, what happens to a person who's in a hurry for wealth. We want it now, but we don't realize as we're wanting this, as we're after this, and as we get this, we're losing somewhere else. He says he isn't even aware that poverty will come. There's no doubt that, that God blessed Lot with a lot. He got a piece of the pie. Remember the Jeffersons? We're moving on up to the east side. We finally got a piece of the pie. Well, Lot wanted a bigger piece. He wanted the whole pie. Look at the Bible says here in Genesis. Lot chose the whole Jordan Valley for himself. He didn't leave any for Abraham. He took it all. He wanted it all. He wants more. He wants it all. But the truth is, church, he can't have it all, and neither can you or I. Our lives are only designed to handle and hold so much. You can't and I can't have it all as hard as we try. And the thing I notice also is is that as, as Lot is getting more, he's actually becoming poor in other places. And like Lot, the more I take for me, the more I'll take from me. When you read, there's a little book uh, Steve Farrar wrote years ago called Point Man. And he broke down what happened to the American family when the Industrial Revolution began. They said it used to be that the children, the sons and the daughters, you know, typically the sons would learn the father's trade, farming or whatever he was doing. And the daughters would learn the mother's trade, how to make a good home. But then the Industrial Revolution took place and it took dad first. It took dad out of the workplace. So he was not home as much. Is that true? It's been that way ever since. Mom's even gone. Some of us have, we have to hold two jobs 
And when we're, and when we're caught up in trying to have it all, we, we, we want more, we don't realize that because we're, it's, it's taking something from, we have to realize this, that I don't, I'm not as available to my home, to my family. I have less time. I'm too tired for my family. Anybody here besides me tired? Law, man, long week. And you just go, man, I just want to, come on, let's go do something. Oh man, I just want to sit down. Can I just sit down? Oh, five minutes, but let's go do something. There's soccer, basketball. I was just with kids. Now it's grandkids, soccer, basketball, all this other stuff is going on. Karate, cheerleading. Then there's things that we do in the kingdom. And I don't have time. I don't, I find myself, I don't have any time. There's no margin to build a relationship with somebody and open the Bible up with them because I'm trying to get it all. I want it all. And I can't hold it all. So I have to let go of something. Sad, but a lot of people let go of God's things. They're the first to go when, because they got to make room for more. And that's what's happening to Lot. He's trying to have it, have it all. And as this this happens, he's losing a little more of his spiritual direction in his life. He's losing a little more influence with his friends and with his family. That's what we see. We see this over and over. You know, Jesus warns us about this idea of being greedy. Now, I know we don't think of ourselves being greedy, do we? I mean, you don't turn to somebody and say, you greedy person. You don't look in the mirror and go, I'm a greedy person. But it exists. It exists and it do us good to really think about and look at what is this desire to have more really about? Because Jesus shows us the real price tag of trying to have it all. Look what he says here in Luke 9. It is worth nothing for you to have the whole world if you yourself are destroyed or lost. He's saying, look, when you're trying to get it all, it'll lead you to losing more than you bargained for. So we need to pause and we need to stop and think about this. Because Lot, see, was so caught up in, man, if I could just get that, then I could do this, then I could do this, and then I could do this. It's amazing to me, I've done it myself, how I can take something, a selfish desire, and somehow make it a spiritual thing. If I want to bad enough, I can find a way to make it the will of God. But just about anything. And yet Jesus says, Tim, you need to really sit back and look at this. Because it's worth nothing if you if you got all this stuff and you've been lost in the process or destroyed or your home is destroyed or your marriage is destroyed. He says in Luke 12 this, be careful to guard yourselves from every kind of greed. Oh, there's the there's the greed we know and there's different kinds and shades of of greed. And he says, you need to guard. What, 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 what do you mean guard? Uh, you need to set a guard. Guard yourself against this because greed has robbed lots of lives and it's robbed lots of families. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is the first step toward all kinds of sin. I want to, I just want to confess something. I love money. Anybody here willing to confess that? Yeah. Throw that hand real up there. I want to see that. Show that billfold. Okay, yeah, okay, good. I like money too. I love money. There's lots of things you can do. 
What's that song? Money makes the world go round, the world go round. Money, 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 money. Yeah, I love money. You can buy stuff, Amazon. Oh my goodness. Type in anything and it's they're selling it. eBay. Oh yeah. You know, we, we want, I, I, I like buying things. It's fun purchasing things. And I've also learned over the years, it's so good to be able to give to help somebody or to contribute to a special contribution. I love money to do that too. And yet Paul says, watch it, Tim. For the love of money is the first step toward all kinds of evil. But Lord, I, I want to use, I love money to use it for your glory. Yeah, but be careful because it's the first step that will lead you into something deeper. And that's what happens to Lot. He has this huge herd and he goes, man, I want more. And he sees this beautiful valley. Let's go there. And he goes there and he ends up getting taken from him. He gets it back and then he moves into town and he find his money gives him a little position, a little prestige. He's liking what he's getting from his wealth. And he's stepping more and more into to trouble. Notice he goes on to say, some people have even turned away from God because of their love for it. And as a result, have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Well, people like, like who? Judas? I heard a preacher say years ago, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Today, People will do it for the minimum wage. For that extra dollar. That extra hour. Overtime. We have no life. We are, we are, we are a servant, a slave to the lender. The charge card has pierced ourselves with many griefs. Many sorrows. See, when I make it about the money, and I know we'd love to, all of us would like to say, well, I never make it about the money. You better do a gut check there and check that out. I can make it about the money, about the raise. When I make it about more, I run the risk, again, of losing everything I bargained for. So we have to be careful. We have, listen, we need to be careful when another opportunity comes. A good, it looks, appears to be a great opportunity to make some money. Why? Because it's the, if we're not careful, it can lead us into sin. It's harmless at first. So we need to weigh things. Someone says, well, what do I do, Tim, when, when I've got this opportunity to get ahead, this opportunity to make a lot of money? What should I do? Well, let me give you two thoughts, just two. One is keep your spiritual focus. That's the first thing. Keep keep your spiritual focus. This Bible says here in Colossians 3, focus your minds on the things above, not on the things here on earth. Whenever you're looking at stuff, you know, always keep one eye toward the heavens. Whatever, What's God want as you're looking at the things of this earth? Jesus said, seek God's kingdom first. And all that stuff that you're worried about, all that stuff you you got to have, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of you. Here's the second thing, and that's ask God for help. Sometimes I need to ask God, God, you know, I, I just, what, help me with this. And, and David says it like this, help me 
want to obey your rules instead of selfishly wanting riches. He goes, he's saying, let, let, let your principles be more important than the paycheck. So sometimes I used to ask God, and maybe you can ask some other people, what, how do you handle this? What would you do? These are all great ideas. But let's just face it, you can't, you and I can't have it all. And when we try to have it all, as we're accumulating that whatever all is, we may be losing something in our home. Here's the fifth one. When I disregard God's boundaries in marriage, this is, this is perhaps one of the most controversial, misunderstood, uh, disliked, overlooked principles in scripture. Some people would say, oh, that's outdated. What you're going to talk about here, Tim, this is outdated. This doesn't make any sense. I don't see the problem. In fact, I know some exceptions and you always find exceptions for everything God says. But I I know this, I know this to be true, church. Every one of us here that has been married or we're currently married would agree who you choose to marry matters. I know the women were saying that more than the men. Who you choose to marry, and it's really, who you choose to be closest to. My wife is my best friend. She knows more about me than my mother. And my mother knows a lot. And I tell you what, I, I am blessed in spite of my ignorance. Because I wasn't looking necessarily for a spiritual partner, a counterpart. I was just looking for a female. Got to be honest with you. I got a great one. You're right. I got a good one. And I, I just think it's a major decision. And by the way, if you're not married, um, if you're a teenager, uh, your parents are very, very, very concerned about who you're going to marry. I know that. Because I was very, 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 very concerned about who my sons were going to marry. Well, to Lot, this wasn't important. He didn't really care about that. You see, Lot married somebody who loved Sodom and loved him. But there's some question as to how much she loved the Lord. And even his own daughters, he's okay with marrying a couple of guys from Sodom, which the Bible describes as evil, an evil place. What I notice, I guess, as we as we discuss this topic, which is a, such a touchy topic, um, when Israel is about to go back into the Promised Land, you see what happens is Abraham. Um, if you remember, Abraham's living there in the, prom- in the promised land and then he has Isaac and then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 sons of Jacob. And things are going pretty good. And then there's a famine and Joseph, they get rid of Joseph. He ends up in Egypt and then eventually the whole family moves to Egypt. So they're out of the promised land. They're in Egypt again. God's people are there again. And as they are coming out of Egypt... 
Moses is there and he leads them out of Egypt. If you've seen Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, you know what happens. And so he, they, he come out, come out of Egypt and just before they go back into the promised land, Moses begins to list some things they need to, they need to really be focused on before they go back in to the promised land. In Deuteronomy especially, which means to say again, he's, he lists these things. You know, he says things like, don't plant two seeds in the same hole in your garden. Well, what's a, why not? Well, there's, there may be a practical reason, but he's teaching something else there. He also says, according to the King James, do not plow with an ox and an ass together. He's talking about animals. Just want to make that clear. I think the, uh, the NIV says, do not plow with a ox and a donkey yoked together. Why not? Because you're not going to get a straight furrow. It's going to be a mess. You don't want to mix those two together. And then he says these words in Deuteronomy 7. Do not intermarry with them. And he's talking about the people that they're, this culture they're coming into. Don't intermarry with them. Don't give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters to your, for your sons. And look at it. Why? For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. I just wonder if Moses, as he was saying this, was thinking of Lot. In other words, before we go back into the land where Lot was, where Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and all that happened, before we go back in, let's get this straight before we go back in and live amongst this culture. And I want to say to you, before you start a family, single person, before you start a family, you marry a believer. You marry a disciple. Someone who loves God more than you. Much more than you. The kind that Jesus talks about, if you're going to follow me, you must hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your children. It's such a deep-seated love that it looks like, compared to anything else, it looks like hate. I know some of you here, I know, I know, I know some college students here that have some high standards about the mate they're gonna have. And I just want you to know, you do not lower that standard. It's that important. Every married couple in here is saying, Oh, tell him, tell him. It's hard enough. Two disciples. Have you ever thought about this? The church didn't get along at Corinth. You know, they, they, they had division. They couldn't get along. Well, if you put two Christians together in a house, they're not probably going to get along all the time either. But man, it's important they pull the same way. It's important they pull the same way. You know, Paul talks about, I think he says something about if, if you do marry again, marry only in the Lord. And I, and I say this to, to us this morning as a church. This needs to be a standard. We don't, we don't need to ignore this boundary that God has set in marriage. We need to promote Christian couples. Now, I, had, I, I don't know if this happened to you or 
you've heard about this, but the campus did a series called Hot Ones. And the way it is, it's from a YouTube where you, you eat a hot wing and it's supposed to get progressively hotter. Carly, I think they were, you guys were nice to me. It wasn't that. I was waiting for the flames, you know. And the first one, oh yeah, I know she, she was going, she, she, she was interviewing me. And so we're both eating the same wing and then the questions get hotter and hotter and hotter. And I was talking about relationships and sex. And I warned them that I'm a body person. And someone said, what's that mean? And someone says, I'm Googling it. Oh no, it means he'll say anything. I said, I'll be as body as you want. They said, take the bark off. I said, okay. And so we're talking and we're having all these questions about intimacy and kissing and things like that. I got to be careful in this group. And then she says this to me. How come the church idolizes marriage so much? And I went, what are you talking about? I don't think the church idolizes marriage at all. Because they marry whoever they want. And I'm constantly having to talk about it. She goes, I don't think you understand my question. I go, I don't. And I'm eating the wing, you know, and tell me. She goes, I'm saying, why is it that churches seem to be trying to matchmake and pushing college students? Like when they send us to a Christian college, they're hoping we'll meet somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and you know, and, and I went, well, yeah, and she, and she was, she's on the other side of this going, I'm getting tired of being pushed into something. Maybe, you know, I want to be careful here, but I'm getting all this push. And I look at it like, well, you know, some of it's, it's good encouragement, but just because you go to a Christian college or any college doesn't mean you're going to find Mr. Wright or Miss Wright. I have found from observing others that you find Mr. Right and Miss Right when you become right. When you be the right person. And that and I, I want to say, church, and I, and I say to Carol Lee with, with great respect, let's encourage people, but don't push them into something that like there's something wrong with them because they haven't, they're, they're almost 20 and they haven't got married. I heard, I talked to somebody who was 35 one time and I said to them, they were want, they were going to get married and they were, and I said, look, there's something worse than being 35 and not married. She goes, what would be that? I said, being 35 and married to the wrong person. And I know it's hard. It's difficult. And you really don't know anybody. You can date them for years. And, you know, I dated my wife for four years before we got married. And I thought I knew her. It wasn't she was hiding anything or I was hiding anything. We just, we weren't paying attention. You learn more when you say, I do. And that's what you're agreeing to. I do. I will learn more. Not necessarily right or wrong, just different. But we also learned a lot about our where we were spiritually, our faith. She was strong in some places that I was weak and I was strong in some places she was weak. And because we pulled together the same direction, it was about loving God more than each other. It 
it really solved a lot of the problems that we faced. Listen, I've been, I'm going to be married 45 years in August. And I'm going to tell you something, church. We've had our share of problems. We're, I'm not going to kid. You know that. Some of them you've heard over the years. My wife tells me later, stop talking about us. I understand. You know, but I'm hoping somebody might learn from this, this crazy family of mine, you know. But I can tell you that there have been moments where I thought we're not going to make it. And there have been moments where I'm ready to strangle her. There's moments she's loading the gun. I mean, there's some things, there's times. And what got us, what gets us through all that? We're pulling the same way. We're, I'm yoked together with somebody that's pulling the same direction. Now I say all that to you. Look at this here. See, Israel ignored what Moses had to say. They come into the promised land and they begin to intermarry with the culture. They begin to cave and compromise and they pay dearly for it. By the way, so bad things got that they were Babylon come and took them to captivity. Persia come and took the southern kingdom into captivity. They lost their land again. They lost all the blessings that they started off with. They lost it all, like Lot. And then finally, God wants them to come back, and here comes the remnant. And in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, he discovers this in Nehemiah 13. He says, moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Where have I seen the word Ammon and Moab for? Oh yeah, Lot's daughters. When they got him drunk and slept with him and had children, the birth, the nation of Ammon and Moab was also born. It says half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. You see, in other words, they've, they've forgotten just about everything. What Moses said was true. They will turn, if you do this, they will turn your children away from following me and serving other gods. Call it outdated all you want. It's still a current thing. If you want to marry well, marry someone who's a disciple. Look at the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. Corinth was having a problem with this. And Paul said this to the church at Corinth. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And I know we, we want, sometimes we'll say, well, isn't that business dealings? I think it's talking about relationships in general and marriages in there as well. And if you want to wreck your family before it starts... Marry anybody you want. Don't listen to anybody. She looks good to me. He looks, he's handsome. Be more concerned about being happy and not holy. Well, I just want him to be happy. And holiness goes out the door. Be more concerned about them loving you and not so much about them loving God. And I'll tell you something else you you can do. Make sure you look for exceptions to the rule. Find that exception. Well, you look at that couple. She married a nut. And he became a Christian. She married a a goofball. All I'm trying to tell you, church, is, is that the Bible is very clear 
Well, the, okay, you're saying they go to church. They go to church? Well, they go to church. See, I, the wife I have, she didn't just go to church. She would go to God when she was worried, when she was afraid, when she was confused. She would go to God when she was tempted. And that's what I was, same way. I'd, we'd pray, we'd talk to God, we'd look at His Word, take it seriously. I want to say to you as clear as I can, if you're a believer and you're not interested in marrying a Christian, why don't you just leave the Lord because you're going to be miserable. You'll make the rest of us miserable too. Lot was miserable. What's the Bible say? He was tormented by where he was living. And by the way, some of that torment was from who he was living with. So I want to encourage you, do not take lightly what the Bible teaches about marriage. And if you've got a high standard, don't you lower it one bit. But there's, there's probably hardly anybody out there. I know some, some singles have said, you know what, if I can't find the right person, I'm not going to marry just anybody. Maybe I'll just stay single. Boy, that's brave. <laughs> Something to consider. Number six. Want to wreck my family? Oh, I, I'll wreck it when I spiritually let myself go. My mother's 91. And uh, I, something I noticed about her, I didn't know she had this till she moved here. She has a little ring binder, a little, a little binder notebook. And in it, she takes three times a day, she takes her blood pressure, her blood sugar, her heart rate, and she also records uh, her meds, everything she takes. When we went to see the doctor this week, the uh, a physician assistant was... Uh, Young fella asking questions and okay, Mrs. Martinez. He goes, wait a second. Here's my notebook. What's that? He opens it up and goes, oh my god, this is awesome. Look at this. Why this has got more information? And she's like, I know, I know. Doctor comes in. Miss Martinez, where's your notebook? <laughs> Word gets around. She's recording everything. Wow, this is fantastic. So your your blood sugar was here last week, and then it was here this week, and oh, this is fantastic. This is great stuff. You know, I I, I realize my mother. One of the reasons she's around as long as she's been around has something to do with her DNA, but it also has something to do with she takes personal responsibility taking care of herself physically. She really takes it seriously. She's not, she's not shoving anything in her mouth. She's she's checking her blood. She check she's checking her blood pressure. She wants to make sure she doesn't do something silly. She wants to be around as long as she can. Hmm. I got thinking about this idea about spiritual condition and the idea about how spiritually sometimes you know a lot of us here. Um, I didn't. By the way, I don't know how to. I don't even know how to say this. When we went in, we went into the hospital one time. They asked if I was married. If, were we married? And I went, huh? Are you married? This is my mother, for crying out loud. And I'm looking in the mirror going, have I let myself go? 
And, my, and I look at mom, I said, mom, you must be looking pretty good for 91. And she does look. I mean, I look at people. You go, you go to yards. You see some of these people that come in. You're thinking, man, and they're 50 something. They have let themselves go. And spiritually speaking, if I want to wreck my home, man, just let myself go. Just let my, let my spiritual condition deteriorate over time. Cause see, while Abraham is building his altars everywhere he goes, the Bible says nothing about Lot's altar. It's as if it, he doesn't do it anymore. He's lost his habit of worshiping. He's failing to continue to establish and continue the spiritual disciplines that he learned from Abraham. And because of that, he's lost all direction, all stability, all strength, and all respect. His friends don't listen to him. He calls them brothers. He calls them friends. And they, they don't have, they're not interested in hearing what he has to say. His sons-in-laws, he goes to go find them and tells them in, in the, here in Genesis 19, 14, he says, hey, we need to get out of the city. You need to leave here as quick as possible. And it says they didn't take him seriously. They started, they thought he was joking. They laughed at him. He had no influence anymore. Why is that? Because they've been watching him and they didn't notice that much difference between what he was, how he was living and the rest of, the, of everybody else there. And it's easy, to, listen church, it's easy to let yourself spiritually go. How do you do that, Tim? It's real easy. I've watched it. I've, I've, there's been moments I've let myself, I fail to have my quiet time for a while. I'm not praying like I used to. I skip a retreat. A yearly retreat and I can't even make time for it. I, I, group, I'm hit and miss at small group. Everybody's always asking me, hey, you coming? You coming? Next thing you know, a word slips out that normally doesn't come out. Next thing you know, a thought, a temptation has a little more bite to it than, than normal. What's happened? I've lost my altar. I've lost my love for the Lord. Revelation talks to about a church in Ephesus. Look what it says here. He says, you've done all these wonderful things, but I have this one thing against you. This is Jesus talking to Christians. In Revelation 2.4, he says, you do not love me as you did at first. What's happened? You've lost it. You've let yourself go. Kind of like a married couple. They kind of let themselves drift apart. They've let themselves go. Paul told Timothy, spend your time and energy and exercise in keeping spiritually fit. It's something you have to take responsibility for. You have, you have to take responsibility. Going, you know what? I am going to not just monitor my spiritual condition. I'm going to do things to build a healthier spiritual condition in my life. Why? I'll tell you why. When you take care of yourself, then you're able to take care of everybody else around you. And that includes your family. That oxygen mask that drops down from the, from the airplane as you're, and they tell you to put it on your first before you put it on your kids. I asked the attendant one time, why? He says, well, because if you wait to put it on your child, you'll pass out and then your child and you both will die. So I need, you need to take care of yourself first, Mr. Gill. That just sounds so selfish. Not when you put it in that context. Watch your life and doctrine closely, Paul Timothy. Told Timothy that. 
Why? Because if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. You'll, you'll save your family. I'd like to finish, as we finish up here, I'd like, I'd like you to, to listen. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a passage I learned early as a Christian. Uh, why are we preaching out of the Old Testament so much? We've had people criticize Greater Alton for teaching out of the Old Testament so much. And um, let me give, give, let me tell you why. This is found in 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 10, 1 through 12. And I'm going to read out of the Living Bible. Why are you reading out of that one? I like it. Look at it. Paul is, is talking to the church at Corinth. He says these words, For we must never forget, just listen to this, For we must never forget, dear brothers, what happened to our people in the wilderness long ago. God guided them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them and He brought them all safely through the waters of the Red Sea. This might be called their baptism. Baptized both in sea and cloud. And by a miracle, God sent them food to eat and water to drink there in the desert. They drank the water that Christ gave them. He was there with them as a mighty rock of spiritual refreshment. Yet after this, most of them did not obey God. And He destroyed them in the wilderness. For this reason, we are warned that we must not desire evil things as they did. Nor worship idols as they did. The Scriptures tell us the people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to dance in worship of a golden calf. Another lesson for us is what happened when some of them sinned with other men's wives and 23,000 fell dead in one day. So don't try the Lord's patience. They did and died from snake bites. And don't murmur against God and His dealings with you as some of them did, for that is why God sent the angel to destroy them. All these things happen to them as examples, as object lessons for us. To warn us against doing the same things. They were written down so that we could read them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So be careful. If you're thinking, oh, I'd never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you. For you too may fall into sin. Why are we looking at Lot's family? Because there's some good lessons from some bad examples. And they supply warnings for you and I. They warn us. They're in the Bible for a reason. And they should make us pause and think about what are we doing in our homes? What am I doing with my life? And so I say to you as we close here, what is Lot warning you of? Of those six, which do you go, man, I tend to drift into that one and that other one. I want to ask you, 
Are you tormented by the culture? Why? Why are you tormented by this woke cancel culture? Because it is tormenting to live amongst this cesspool. So what do I do? Well, you can either be like Lot and live in it and compromise with it and lose it all, or you can be like Abraham and continue to worship while you're among this corrupted world and trust the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you lost your way? In other words, I used to do this. I used to be serious, but I'm not so serious now. Are you caught up in some selfish ambition? Into greed? Do you find it making a mess of things? I'm not able to be with my family as much. I'm not able to be with God's family as much. I'm not able to do much in the kingdom as much because I'm, I'm just so busy with other things. Where have you been compromising with the world? I'm not saying if. Where? Where are you compromising now with the world? Are you trying to have it all? Has greed got a grip on you? Have you let yourself spiritually go? I want to say to you, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Trust the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Maybe this morning you're going, you know, Tim, I, I just, I don't know where to start. How about open the Bible up with somebody? Or open your heart to somebody and talk about it in your small group or over coffee. Say, I, this lesson bothers me. Last week I heard somebody say, I don't like this lesson. It scares me. It should terrify you and I. I'm just asking if maybe maybe it's simply you can do this from your seat on a piece of paper, that card, and say, you know what? I'm deciding to rededicate my life today. As for me and my house, I am going, we are going to serve the Lord. It's going to change in my home. And the change is going to start with me. Let's learn from this guy. Let's learn a lot from Lot. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just the powerful thoughts here, Father. Uh, what a powerful story. None of us like, uh, we don't like hearing some of this stuff sometimes, but Father, we need it so bad. Sometimes it takes a mistake to make us realize, to, to expose something. Sometimes it takes something painful to expose something in our, our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray, we pray this morning that we'll learn the lessons here from Lot that help us, help us, uh, Open our eyes to where we identify most with Lot and help us to take the steps to avoid the mistakes he's made. We love our families, Lord, and we would never want to harm them and bring trouble on them. So we pray you help us follow you and trust you and from it bring about the blessings you promise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Father of light, draw me closer. 
your life in folding mind and let the peace of God let it reign. Oh, Holy Spirit, Lord, my comfort, strengthen me, hold my head up high, and I stand upon your truth, bringing glory unto Peace.